we've got the yeah. boot camp coming up, don't we? 19th we do. of July. 19th of July. Three and a half hours. Come along. If you want to get your first foot on the ladder of how do you create plans with optionality in your life? How do you think differently? How do you, not future proof, but future forecast? How do you see what's ahead, where that puck's going to be, and how you get yourself to that optimum position for you and those around you? Come along. It'd be, it'd be great to have you join us. I, I love what you just did there. That was totally unplanned, folks. Marcus, like the salesman, managed just, to bring this all down. <laughs> Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hello and welcome to the show. Great to see you all again and always fabulous to be back with my good friend, Mr. Hoffman. How are you, Bryce? I'm good. I'm pretty good. Good. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little angsty. A little angsty. I like the way you say that. Say it again for me. A little angsty. Cool. So explain to me why you're feeling angsty. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people who know what we do for a living and who know what I, I do in my books and stuff, you know, they'll, when I, when I talk to them socially, some of this conversation with my hairstylist actually last week. Um, it's looking sharp, by the way. I'm liking it. Thank you. Thank what you. they've done there. It's looking good, man. So, you know, he, 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 we were, we were talking about the, the, the kind of death spiral of cities in California, mm-hmm. San Francisco and Los Angeles to a lesser degree or to a greater degree, depending on your perspective. And, you know, he made the comment, you know, well, this is what you do for a living is like, you know, uh, help people figure out how to solve complex problems and, and, and how to navigate complexity and all of this stuff. So what's the solution? And I, and I sat there and I was like, well, I don't think there is one. And, and, and I, I said, it's not that there, that I can't, you know, that there aren't several. It's mm-hmm. just that none of them are going to happen because we, we don't have a political system that's functioning well enough to do hard things that require sacrifices of people or, or get people out of their comfort zone or, you know, make people, you know, have to, to, you know, tackle tough issues in a, in a meaningful way. We, we have a political system that is at best able to put band-aids on hemorrhaging wounds and at worst, not even able to do that. So, and I, and I started thinking, and then I was having a conversation with someone else about, about climate disruption in Europe and, and all, all of these things. And I realized, you know, there's so much going on in the world that even if you have the tools and the mindset, the red teaming mindset to look at the situation and to, and, to, and, to, and to pick it apart and to figure out how to address it, it doesn't at the end of the day really matter to a certain degree because the, the people who are in a position to address it lack the will, lack the, the, yeah. the political capital to do it. And so I started thinking about, well, you know, what, what's the point of, of, of red team thinking in, in these situations? I was going to say, how did that make you feel when that penny sort of dropped in that conversation? How did you feel? Well, initially I felt like very angsty, as I said, <laughs> but, um, but then what I realized as I started to think about it is that 
what red team what the red team thinking mindset still provides you with and what the red team thinking tools provide you with i mean at the end of the day yes these are tools and techniques designed to help people make better decisions to, to develop effective strategies that's all true but at base they're about something more which is about being comfortable with ambiguity being able to mm-hmm. to deal with situations where where the future is uncertain and volatile and complex and and, and that this yields a resilient personality as well as a resilient person who can who can navigate that type of world and so at, at the end of the day i went from feeling feeling really angsty to only feeling a little angsty because uh because i realized that that's what we're we're providing to people i think in addition yeah. to to just the skills to make better decisions in their business or in their professional lives but but how to how to be resilient in the face of this this VUCA world and 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 then you know we heard this from some of our our coaches who are going through our our red team coaching program right now this yeah. past week which really validated that i know it's so true isn't it it's, you know we talk about all these things you know why brushing new strategies making better decisions unearthing opportunities evolving you know and avoiding threats but it really is this helping people to become adaptive resilient robust because that's what you need to be in the in this VUCA world that we talk about that we live in where you know everything is complex ambiguous it's hard and you see the mentality you know why is stress levels up why is mental health topping the charts all of this is because of the lack of resilience of people to deal with the complexity that we're facing into and as we said we're talking you know, talking to these we've had over 400 coaches go through the program we're running at the moment and the feedback from all of them and the feedback we get from our clients after we've taught them this as a professional mechanism a professional way of thinking and doing business is that they all come back and go hey do you know what i was using this at the weekend i was chatting to my partner about x buying a new house or planning the family holiday and we were talking about this with our kids and i love that people are seeing the expansive opportunity that this capability because you know we all think and it's how we think and where and when we think appropriately that doesn't just switch off when we come home from the workplace it's also relevant if not more so at home because you know we talk about noise and we talk about impact and bias what goes on in our personal lives impacts how we operate at work and you can't 100% you can't split the two as much as people think you know get your work face on get and your vice game versa, face on vice versa vice versa 100% at work impacts 100% doesn't life. it you all know when you've had a bad day at work and you know your partner comes in oh, how was it oh this happened so how you prevent that is enabling people to be resilient. You can't stop things happening. But it, it was it Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, we're getting exactly. punched in the face globally, nationally on a daily basis and it and it hurts. And you know, in the UK the interest rate rates went up again today. You know, that's going to hurt people. It's hurting me, it's hurting everybody who's got mortgages. How do you adapt when that happens? How do you plan for that? And what we're teaching people is to be future thinking. So you know that's going to happen. So when it does, it's not a matter of if it does. Most things now are when, not if. So how are you preparing yourself mentally, physically, professionally, personally? But also, how are you supporting those around you to do that? And in the workplace, how's that your teams, your peers, your executives? But also at home, how are you helping your partner, your family, your children, your neighbors, to be resilient, to be, a, I think, awareness is a lot of the 
benefit that we're well, bringing. Well, this is what this. I I love is 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 you actually you've made a conscious effort to teach your kids <laughs> to be red team thinkers and to develop this sort of comfort with ambiguity and this in this resilience because that's the best thing you can give them to navigate this uncertain future that they're going to grow up in. A hundred percent. I've got four kids ranging from 17 to 27 and all in different walks of life, all have gone through their own different, you know, issues of growing up as we all have. And instead of sort of preaching and telling them what I would do or what they should do, I found the real benefit has just been helping them Socratic style, asking them questions, probing, you know, leading them where you need to do with certain questioning techniques to let them see what's going on. And it goes back to that, you know, we talk about the four pillars of red teaming, that self-awareness and reflection, I think has been one of the, the sort of light bulb moments for me and our family is helping us all individually become very self-aware and not just self-aware of, you know, how, how am I as a character, but how am I reacting and responding in the world today? So, you know, my daughter's off at university. How is she dealing with not being able to get a job in a local town? How is she dealing with the pressures of socializing in a different, you know, a network? All of these things really help, I think, us understand what's going on around us, how it's affecting us, this noise we've spoken about before, and how do we then respond? And we always talk about reaction, reaction versus responsiveness. You know, reactive is knee jerk. It's without thinking. Whereas a response is you've considered this. It's thoughtful, often intuitive, but it's something that you are considering before you open your mouth or before you take action. And that can take sometimes just a few seconds. But I think having that ability, especially as somebody growing up in today's complex world, is really, really arming them for good. You know, they're, they're armed with these tools and techniques, this capability. And I'm seeing that every time I have a conversation with them, they're talking to me about something they've done at work or with their friends or in university. And it's all of this process that we've talked about, an application that they've taken upon themselves. And often that is challenging something that's gone on or suggesting some ideas that are different. And a lot of it is stepping out of their comfort zone and also, which I'm really proud of them, going against the crowd. Yeah. stepping up when everybody's on the conformity conveyor belt, everybody's got the group thing head on. They're the ones who are putting their hands up and going, what about this? Or no, we shouldn't do that because. And I think that's a real proud dad moment, but also I think it's really reflective of what we're seeing in our coaches as well, who are doing this both with their clients. They're taking that tough love approach, which we often talk about, but also they're doing that themselves and they're holding that mirror up. And I think that's really you know, if, if anything, red team thinking personally allows you to have that mirror held up to yourself that you can't turn away from without impact. It does. And at, at the same time, it also, and this is, this is really critical. We were talking with it with some of our, our folks in, our, in the red team thinking community about this yesterday. We we're talking about the book, who, Mo who moved my cheese. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the other thing that, that cultivating a red team thinking mindset does is it is it it makes you aware of the fact that the only constant is change you know and it doesn't always have to be changed for the worse it can be changed for the better but the point is is that absolutely we don't live in a world of status quo anymore and you know it's it's only getting more that way it's only getting more disruptive more volatile more complex and 
having that mindset is key to building inner resilience so that when when a when a wallop comes out of out of nowhere when you do get punched in the mouth as you said yeah or knocked down by a, a sleeper wave you're not like what the, what just happened you're you're like okay yeah knew that was a possibility you know now how am i going to deal with it and it's interesting i don't want to i don't want to to say his name or, or or identify him but you know we just had a, a a great guy in one of our masterclass series who got laid off uh, from his job not too long after he graduated. And he told us that, that, that as a result of both the tools that he'd learned in the program, as well as the mindset that shift that he'd had in the program, he was okay. He was yeah. like, you know what? I, I saw this coming. I knew this was a possibility. And I know that I have the skills necessary to navigate and find the right way forward in my life. And I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a comfort that is to have that and not to be running around in a panic. Right. And I think that's something that you've tried to instill in your kids too, is, is to recognize that, you know, that that they can't take anything for granted in in the future. And my daughter spoke to a couple of weeks ago, we got quite the shock. Let's say she's been trying to get jobs and, you know, just part-time jobs, bar work restaurants. And then over the summer, it's even harder and between in between universities. So she just rang me up and said, Oh, hi dad. Uh, I said, I'm going to Dubai for two and a half months. I said, how, why, nice holiday. She goes, no, no, she says, I'm going to be an au pair. Wow. And she'd gone out, put, put a CV out to all these different places at work, couldn't get the job she wanted. So she went onto this website, advertised herself and got all these people contacting her. And she's going out to Dubai for July until mid-September to look after a little girl and a family, just experience a different life and, you know, learn and see something different from a, another perspective, another part of the world and different culture. But I just thought that that's her realizing that if she carries on doing the same thing, trying to get a job right. in the same village, it's not going to happen. So does she move to London in a, for short term? How does she get accommodation short term? Yeah. And what's the solution to that? I and mean, think about alternative futures analysis. If I go here, what happens? Absolutely. And she just thought it dawned on me. Um, we had all pairs for them when they were little years ago. And she just said, it just came to me that I was thinking about all the different things. And I thought about, you know, PR or pair that we had. So I looked on the website. And within literally three hours, she had multiple offers. So it's that, it's that adaptability, isn't it? That resilience to think differently, think outside the box. That's not the norm and then try. Well, that's, it's not. And you know, that's the thing is conversely, so many people who, who, who experience real hardship in, in, in the world today, I'm not saying all of them by a long shot, but some of them have other options, but they, they're not comfortable yes. moving on and doing something else. And it, and it makes me mindful. There was a very famous exchange in this, and I'm not trying to be political here, but there's a very famous exchange um, in, in the early 1980s when Reagan was running for president in the United States. I think it was for his second term. And he was on the campaign trail and you know, news cameras were following him around. And, and he was in, in an industrial city in Ohio, which, you know, is, is the heart of the American Rust Belt and certainly was at that time of, you know, idled factories and rusting, rusting manufacturing complexes and stuff. And he went into a local cafe and a diner and was shaking hands with people and stuff. And this woman came to him and said, you know, Mr. President, you know, there's no jobs, you know, and you failed us. You didn't bring the jobs back. And he looked at her and he said, well, 
there's tons of jobs in California and Arizona and, and places like that right now that, you know, because the tech economy was beginning. Mm-hmm. He said, why don't you, why don't you go there? And she got really upset with him and, and was basically like, how dare you tell me yeah. to go and move and find a job, bring yeah. a job to me here. Entitlement. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have, you have to be willing to get up yeah. and do what you have to do. You know, it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's amazing. I was just reading an interview with a guy who became a very successful Goldman Sachs Interesting because we were talking about Goldman Sachs before he came on. It, Goldman Sachs exec and, and retired in his 30s, you know, very successfully. And he was talking about the, the most decisive decision that changed his life was when he was in college. Uh, at, he was going to William and Mary College and there was a career fair and you had to show up for the, there was going to be a bus that took you to the career fair at 6 a.m. And all these other students and he signed up to go to the career fair. And of course it was a Saturday morning or something like that, you know, and at <laughs> 6am, he was the only person waiting there. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the, 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 he went and that led him to meet the connection that ultimately led him to get an internship at Goldman Sachs and, you know, all this stuff. And his point was, is that I wasn't smarter than these other kids I went to school with. I wasn't, you know, necessarily better. The difference between me and them, the reason why none of them became senior execs at Goldman Sachs is because they didn't show up. It was too hard for them to get up and, and do this. It goes and back to one of my favorite. Yeah. goes back to one of my favorite words, persistence. And yeah. it's that continued drive, as you said, just by the fact you show up, just by the fact you're the person in that room. And that reminds me of a story when I was leaving the military, there's all these different organizations now with a military covenant, they're putting on, you know, military veterans into work type events. And I think it was Morgan Stanley. And we went to one of these events and there's about 65 military personnel in the audience. And I think it was the chief risk officer came out, gave a fantastic sort of 40 minute presentation. He was an absolute military fanboy. He was, oh, if I could, if I didn't have spectacles, I'd have joined the military, etc. I love you guys. Super hyper passionate, insanely intelligent and really you know, if anyone's going to make risk interesting, this guy did. I was like on the edge of my seat, understanding what he was doing, and you know, gave a captivating, you know, speech presentation, great Q and A, and then at the end, he just blackball style. He just wrote up on there, "Here's my contact details. Here's my email. Drop me a line, even just for a conversation about what you guys did in the military. I'd love to hear from you." And at the time, I was going around all sorts of different sectors, just trying to understand what I wanted to do before I committed to a second career. And every Friday I go home, I get my little black book out, you know, capture everybody I'd spoke to, send them all an email saying, thanks for your time. I'm interested or I'm not, you know, but always write to people and say, thank you. Wrote to him, said, brilliant conversation. Love to investigate more opportunities at Morgan Stanley. And if there aren't any, I'd still love to come and have a conversation because you were spellbinding. So I've got a lovely email back from his PA. I uh, got invited in and I went to Canary Wharf, went into Morgan Stanley, uh, got a very flash elevator to the top floor walked into a beautiful corner office where this gentleman was waiting and there was a, a full spread out on the table, bottles of Peroni, lots of nice food and nibbles. And he said, Marcus, I've got the afternoon off. He goes, let's shoot the shit, talk about whatever you want. And we just started having a conversation. And about 10 minutes in, he said, I want to ask you a question. He says, uh, how many people were in the room that day you were there? And I said, 60, 60 65 people. And he said, do you know how many of them contacted me to come and have a conversation or a follow-up? 
and I said, I don't know, 10, 15%, maybe, maybe six to 10. And he said, I'm looking at him. Mm. And I was blown away by that. I thought, you know, A, it's downright rude, but B, goes back to what you said. Why are people not taking these opportunities, however narrow the outcome might have been, because you'd never know. And we had a great conversation and he gave me the best advice that I followed up on about, he said, don't go into banking. You're too senior. We want young thrusting captains who are going to run around and get bled dry, as we were talking about with Goldman Sachs. He says, you're more of an operations guy. You want to see different things. And, you know, as much as we hate them, he said, go into consulting. You know, so go and cut your teeth in consulting for a couple of years, start to see what the business is about, industries, then you'll know where you want to go from that. And that was really good advice. And that stopped me being completely divergent in my thinking. I converged into the consultancies and ended up at one of those for a 16-month period. I didn't last that long. But that was the persistence of me following through, getting in the room in the first place, and then getting into the final room where it counts to learn what's actually important from somebody who knows, somebody who's got the expertise. You know, I came out of the military, hoodwinked, blinkered, clueless to what was in the big bad world of corporate. And this guy was hugely experienced. And just, just to me, having that opportunity to talk to people, like, like we see on this show, the, the guests we get on this show, oh, you man. pay thousands and thousands of dollars for a ticket to talk to the likes of Dave Snowden, Alan Manali. And just to have conversations with these great people. And if Not even just talk one, to you to listen. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm saying just one thing yeah. that they could talk to you and one thing they say yeah. literally changed my life and helped me focus, got me where I wanted, needed to go. So it goes back to that persistence right. and normalcy bias. Stop thinking. Things are going to get, like my daughter, if she'd have just sat there going, I'll get a job in July, I'll get a job in August. She becomes September have no job, be thoroughly depressed, have no money. You've got to take positive action. You've got to get a grip and assess what's happening and stop being blind. That willful blindness of what's coming. It's only going to go one way. You know, and this is, this is true in every aspect of human endeavor. I really believe this, you know, as you know, one of the things that I'm asked all the time is how did, how did the, you, you, get the army to let you come and go through this red team <laughs> leader course for officers, you know, when you weren't even in the military. And the answer is real simple. I asked. Yeah. And, 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 kept and, asking. and I kept asking. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, because then people say, well, what, what did they say? They said, no, they said, who the hell do you think I'm you are? Bryce Hoffman. <laughs> who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah. I love and, that story. And, yeah. And, and, but I mean, this is something that I learned in my previous career as a journalist. You know, it, it's like the, the the basketball saying, you miss all the shots you don't take. You miss Correct. 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, you know, somebody, I don't know if it's true because I'm not, a, I'm not, don't follow sports closely. Um, so I haven't fact checked this yet, but somebody shared with me the statistic that, that, that uh, uh, LeBron James has a, has a higher number of missed shots than most other players in the, in mm -hmm. the NBA. Because he takes more shots. He also has a higher number of, of, of successful shots than any yeah. player in the NBA. And his and his rate of success is higher. But but because he's taking so many more, he's missing a lot too. And yeah. that's something that, that, that and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know how I picked it up. Nobody taught me, but I, I figured out early in my career as a journalist, which is that, that you know, it doesn't hurt to ask a question. It doesn't hurt to ask. What's the worst someone can say? It's like we learned this as a kid. What's the worst someone can say is no. 
So I was constantly, you know, asking to, you know, to do things that, that led to amazing opportunities. I remember when I was a cub reporter, I was working in the Sierra Nevadas. I was working in a small bureau for McClatchy and it was winter time. And, and every day this helicopter came in and, 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 and took off and, you know, in the morning and then in afternoon, late afternoon would come back. And I asked somebody, I asked the, the sheriff, I said, what, what is this helicopter that's going up, uh, taking off every morning, going up to the mountains? And he said, oh, that's a, he says, that's the Pacific Gas and Electric Company helicopter. He says, they have to, the power lines that come into California, come over the Sierra Nevadas, and they have to go during winter and survey the snow depths at the top of the mountains to see, you know, what the weight is on the lines and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's like, I talked to the pilot once and it's amazing because they like, they land in places where there's no human beings, you know, for hundreds of miles because it's the middle of winter and stuff and it's impossible to get in. And I said, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to do that. And so I, I literally just got in my car when the I heard the helicopter coming in and landed and, you yeah. know, drove up and I said, hey, you know, I'm the reporter, you know, here. I said, I'd love to go up with you guys. And they gave me the number of someone to call up the corporate office and I called and they're like, oh, that would be awesome, you know, and, and literally a week later. I was sitting with the pilot having lunch on top of a Boy Scout camp's two-story roof where the snow was up to the eaves of the roof and uh, watching a pack of wolves walk by us, yeah. you know, as we ate lunch and on the top of a mountain. And I mean, because I asked. And then when I covered the automobile industry in Detroit, because it was such a, there, there was such a big global press pool, people would always, you know, I remember one time we went on a, fa- a tour of a factory and I, I, Every, you know, about Ford was was uh, just starting to build hybrid SUVs, and everyone filed the same exact story that said, you know, Ford's launching its first hybrid SUV. It was the it was the factory tour story. It was what the PR people told mm-hmm. us as we walked around, and, and they wrote it off the press release they gave. I wrote a story that taught my the headline of my story was workers struggle to to adapt to new electric vehicle realities at Ford's. Fa- hybrid SUV factory. It was all about how hard it was to install the batteries and stuff like this. And and the next day I got a call from one of my competitors and he's like, how the hell did you get that story? He's like, like, how, I like, who told you that? I said, the workers. He said, what, what workers? I said, the workers at the factory that we were at. He said, when did, when did Ford let you talk to the workers? I said, they didn't. I said, when you guys were having lunch, I walked into the employee cafeteria and just started chatting with people and asking them how it was going, installing these new batteries. And he said, but they didn't give us permission to do that. I said, I didn't ask. They didn't tell us not to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know? love that. I didn't ask. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's it, you know, and, and I just think you have to cultivate that mindset in life mm-hmm. of, of being willing to to ask, being willing to show up, being willing, fill in, in the blank. Because if you just do that, and you, I know you're, you've taught your kids this, you'll, they'll already be ahead of nine tenths of their of their peers. Hundred uh, percent. Say you you ask ten kids, why didn't you do this? Because the answer would have been no. Why didn't you ask? Because it wouldn't have happened. And as you said, well, you don't know until you ask. And then when they do say no, reattack, be persistent, come up with a better argument. And that's what my kids know when, when they want something from me, they'll come to, <laughs> I, I know when they want, they, they don't come in out. I know I, I struggle to win arguments now, but they don't, they never come to me with an ask. They come to me with a clever question. 
Ah, oh, so love that. as soon as I get a question, they're like, yep. "Dad, where are we going to be on the fifth of July?" I'm like, "Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Five whys." Yep. But it's a great, and I know, I know where we're going with it. But it's a game I play because it's great to see them thinking that way and following this this very different way of getting a compromise, getting a solution that's often the one they want or engineered towards their liking rather than the big no that they often get if they ask their mother. I love that. <laughs> All right. This is great. We've gone on a long time. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about red teaming life. Stay tuned. Hey, folks. Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. Wow, what a great conversation. You know, it's it's interesting, Marcus. What this was making me think about was my initial plan, which I still haven't found the time to do when I wrote the book Red Teaming, was to do a series of follow-up books. So, you know, the, the plan that I'd kind of hashed out with my my publisher was to do red teaming and then do a series of, of subsequent books like Red Teaming Investing red teaming nonprofits. And ultimately the the final book in the series was going to be called red teaming life. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be about Brilliant. exactly what we're talking about right now, yeah. how to take this, this mindset, how to take these tools, how to take these techniques and apply them to your own life. Not even, not just your professional life, but just everyday life. And I know that Ever since I graduated from, from the Army's Red Team Leader course at the Command and General Staff College back in 2015, June of 2015. So eight years ago, like last week, I've applied these principles and, the, and used these tools in every aspect of my life. And I know that <laughs> since you've learned about this stuff, you use it too. And as you said, you've been teaching your kids how to do this. And I, I just think it's such a powerful, it's a powerful way of navigating the world oh, it so is and like i say i've i've been red teaming for years from my early military days even before i think you know my mum calls me mr 55 wise i think i was one of those kids born with this like most of us but i never lost it and just learning these new tools and techniques from you and how you've shifted them i think has been a real you know power change for me and i came across a great quote which most people have heard from wayne gretzky ice hockey champion and when asked, you know, how, how do you keep scoring all the time? And he said, I skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. Yep. And, and that's a great statement to, to really sum up how red team thinkers operate. You place yourself in the position in the future where things are happening for good. You know, you avoid the threats. You place yourself in the right location to grasp the opportunity, to be lucky. I used to get called lucky in my military career all the time. I got posted to Cyprus. Oh, you're lucky. I got the US Marine Corps exchange, the only one slot they had for fighter controllers. Oh, Marcus, you're so lucky. Hmm. It, you know, it's like the guy who practices 10,000 shots a day and hits the hits every time. You know, you, you don't see what goes on in the background. That creation of opportunity doesn't just manifest itself. You have to be forward thinking. You have to be placing 
all the right pieces of the puzzle together so it eventually forms and comes into play. And that's when I got the America job, even the guy who posts you to these jobs, he called me the year before and offered me the Dutch exchange job. He's like, Marcus, I've got a great job for you. Dutch exchange, six months at language school, three years living just outside Amsterdam. I'm like, sorry, sir. I said, but uh, I'm going to have to turn that down. He was like, what, are you crazy? This is like one of the most plum jobs. I said, the only reason why I'm turning it down is because next year you're going to be posting me to America on the exchange job. And he's like, am I now? He said, how come I don't know about this and I'm the guy who sends you? He said, are you sure you want to turn this down? Because that's not guaranteed. This is a guarantee. I said, trust me, sir. That's where I'm going to be in a year from now. I'd love to do the Holland job, however, comma. And six months later, this guy called me up. And he was like, Dimbleby, I don't know how you did this, but <laughs> your name came across my desk today as the guy who's going to go out and replace the individual out there. And how I did that was I'd gone out to see the guy out there on vacation at the same time where the air attache from the embassy was visiting. So we went out for dinner, had cocktails, had good conversation. I met the guy's boss at work. So I positioned myself where the puck was going to be. And right. I got influence of these individuals. You know, if I'd have been an asshole or they didn't like me, they'd have said so. And I wouldn't have got the job. But I made sure that I went out, met these individuals, showed interest in the job, showed interest in the opportunity. Uh, and they said, hey. And the guy out there gave me his backing. And then the individual who normally sends you out there got told to send me out there. So goes back to that great quote, you know, get yourself in the position where things are going to happen, that you're making happen. Absolutely. But there, you also hit another important part of this, which is so much of, of, of success is, is below the waterline hmm. and people don't see it. You know, I had the experience back when I was a, a, a young reporter again. Of, of playing a round of golf with Patty Sheehan, who at the time was the LPGA leader and had been for, for I think, several years. And it was a, it was both an amazing and humiliating experience because, I mean, it, you know, I'm not a very good golfer in any case. And, and it's, it's usually embarrassing for me to play golf, but it was trebly embarrassing to be playing golf with someone who, who, who's literally every single shot was like, oh, the course, you know, this whole dog legs around those, those trees up there. I think I'm going to, I'm going to hook this, this shot around those oak trees and, and we'll land in the middle and then boom and do it every time. Exactly as planned. And, and about halfway through our game, you know, we're riding our cart together, you know, between balls. And, and I said to her, I said, I said, you know, I, I think you've just convinced me to just give up entirely because like you've shown me what re what a real golfer can do. And I realize there's no way that I could ever be this good. And she, and she stopped, she was driving, she stopped the golf cart and she said, that's not true. She said, you could be good too. You could probably be this good if you, if you really wanted to be. He, she said, all you need to do is do what I do. She said, I hit 300 balls a day. She I said, I hit 300 balls, 365 days a year. Yeah. She said, I hit 300 balls when it's raining outside. I hit 300 balls when it's snowing outside. I hit 300 balls on my birthday. I hit 300 balls on Christmas. I hit 300 balls on New Year's. I hit th 300 balls on Thanksgiving. I hit 300 balls if I have a 100 degree fever. I hit 300 balls a day, every day. And she said, I guarantee you that if you hit 300 balls a day, you will be an amazing golfer. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to get 300 balls a day. And she's like, that's the point, though. That's you know? the thing, isn't it? Yeah. How often are people willing to put the effort in to get to that place? Because it takes effort. You, you right. don't just get dropped there. And, he, and I love how you said it. It's the iceberg of success. And there's a we can share this in the notes. There's a great graphic, isn't there? Yeah. Where, you know, you see the success, money, fame, and then you see the 95% below of blood, sweat, tears, angst, worry, all of that stuff that goes with achieving success because it's nothing comes on a plate very rarely in life. Does something come on a plate to you that's worth having this sense of entitlement that we spoke about at the beginning? It's not going to get you anywhere. And, it, and it's not going to get people to help you more with that approach to life either, because if you want something, go and get it. But you've got to make that happen through influence, through putting in the hard yards, you know, work hard, but work smart as well. There's a lot of right. stupid things being done by people start to be more smart in your application. And again, we'll go back to my kids. You know, my, my daughter wasn't out grafting and trying to walk the streets of London, trying to find a job, you know, just put a CV on a website, worked smart, boom, got the job. So you've got to think differently and really apply yourself to the VUCA world, you know, appreciate how, as you said, it change is constant. How are things changing for you in your world? Cause all of our worlds are different. What's affecting me is different to you. Globally, it's all the same for us all, but each one of us have, have our own little VUCA worlds going on, our own little inputs, our own little volatilities and ambiguities. Assess them all, understand them and appreciate them, and then work out how are you going to navigate. And that might involve some blood, sweat, and tears. That might involve some hard graft. It might involve getting up early every morning for two months and going out there. It might involve pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and doing public speaking. Many, many things, but you have to do these things, I think, if you not only want to survive, but you need to thrive. And right. doing these help you thrive because you become a better person. You get that confidence. That, that We talked about this before, isn't it? You may step off into the unknown, but if you step off confident that you have cognizance of what might lie ahead, how you're prepared for it, so it does manifest, you can pivot, you can duck and dive, bob and weave, as you say. You know, You can avoid these things or counteract them, then you are going to be far more adaptive, far more resilient, and hugely confident. And that comes across not just personally, but others watching and seeing you behave that way will be influenced by that as well. And this goes to our whole thing about creating plans with optionality. That's as true in your personal life as it is in your professional life. Yeah. If you, if you, if you make a decision, I want to do this, but here's the ways that this could go this could fail or this could unravel or this could lead to a, a less than optimal result. And here are some things that I know that I could do if it's begins to do that. Here's how I could respond to that. Here are some contingency plans that I have. Here are some other options I could exercise. Then, then, you know, you know, oh, you know, you're, 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 yeah, you may, you may have to do some heavy lifting, but at least you, you know where to put your foot next and you're not, and you're not just a deer in the headlights, which so many people are today, you know, and, and I, know. I, I get it, paralysis. Know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think, I, I think that you need to do this. It's, it's a survival skill. Now the world's not going to get any easier. No. I mean, you know, it, 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 look at the latest, look, look at the latest climate numbers for Europe. You know, Europe's already hit the, the, the threshold ahead of the rest of the world it's warming faster than the rest than the rest of the world it's only going one way it's only going one way it's only going to get worse you know in our lifetimes 
people in developed countries are going to be displaced by climate disruption. Yeah. Guarantee it. Yeah. And, and what's more fundamental than not being able to stay where you live? Um, and yet, you know, there there's a lot of people who just can't do that, you know, and and so you have to cultivate that resilience. You have to be you have to be willing to to skate to where the puck's going to be. Yeah. And, you know, if if, you know. It, it, it's, you know, if I if I was a farmer in the Central Valley in California right now, I would sure be looking at, at drought resistant crops and also alternatives to being a farmer. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I certainly wouldn't be be counting on my kids taking over the family farm. Yeah. No, no, it's huge. And we, we've talked a lot about personal, individual stuff today, which is very, very effective and everyone should focus on. But what, what I love, what we've been seeing, and this has been one of our dream come trues, is since we stood up the community, the RTT community, we've got what they're now over 500 people. Yeah. What we call them is like-minded contrarians. There's a paradox if ever you want one. But this great group of people who are individual, who are all thinking differently, but coming together and helping each other. You know, we've got splinter groups now standing up. We, we had the conversation last night, didn't we? One of the ladies had been on, they'd run over by an hour and a half through Not a great discussion. splinter groups. They're splinter, splinter groups. They're, they're support <laughs> groups. See, I'm a former, I'm a recovering Marxist and splinter groups mean something very, oh, uh, very different. Oh, is that different a bad word? To, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. You know. So we've got these great little groups. It's the Judean people's front. No, it's the people's <laughs> front. Mate, it's the people's front of Judea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, brilliant. But, but it's just this, it's this coming together of, similar people who believe and think a certain way, but differently. And I think one of the beautiful thing one of the ladies said last night was, it's not just the ability to bring problems together and get them answered. She said, it's the friendships I'm making. Absolutely. And that was a lady in Singapore who's on a call with someone in America, someone in the UK, someone in Australia. So this, and what this time was it her time? Oh my Lord. Was it two, 3 a.m. she was up till? Yeah, incredible. And she said that that, that she couldn't get off because it was so much. Yeah. It was so much fun. She was having such a good time and learning and discussing with her colleagues and yeah. friends. So I think this intellectual insurgency that we're growing is, is just a, a wonderful thing to be part of. We've got the yeah. boot camp coming up, don't we? Nineteenth of do. July. 19th so of our July. biannual boot camp that kicks off on nineteenth of July. Three and a half hours. Come along if you want to get your first foot on the ladder of how do you create plans with optionality in your life? How do you think differently? How do you, not future-proof, but future forecast? How do you see what's ahead, where that puck's going to be, and how you get yourself to that optimum position for you and those around you? Come along. It'd be great to have you join us. I, I love what you just did there. That was totally unplanned, folks. Marcus, like the salesman, managed just, to just bring this all down. <laughs> no, it's true, though. That's, that's a smart yeah. point. And, it, yeah. and uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Excellent stuff. All right. Awesome. Keep asking the tough questions. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.